0: Good to see you guys. Anyways, keep your Bibles on Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. That's the whole chapter. This will be our text for this morning. Last Sunday, we looked at the career of Antichrist, that last earthly king. We discovered 15 things he will do when he is in power during uh, the last seven years of the world as we know it, the seven years of tribulation. This morning, we're going to look at the last set of predictions in Daniel's fourth and final vision. Uh, To this point, Daniel's visions have been about Israel's future under several oppressive Gentile nations. God's people would be subjected to these nations for literally thousands and thousands of years. Why? Because of their disobedience, because of their rejection of God, because of their breaking of the covenant that they have with God. God will use these Gentile nations to chastise, to refine, to purify His people. It says that back in chapter 11, verse 35. So far, I would say, in my opinion, so far the visions have been pretty dark, uh, pretty dreary, even depressing, right? Because it's like one nation after another conquering and oppressing Israel. So up to this point, these visions have been somewhat depressing. And uh, we already know from past studies that Daniel was already somewhat depressed and kind of heartbroken over what was playing out among his people. And so I'm sure that the visions up to this point had him really at a level of kind of... I don't know if I'd say hopelessness, but he was certainly more and more concerned as these visions unfolded. But chapter 12 is the turning point. This is the turning point in the vision he received. Uh, This is where everything kind of shifts and goes in a, a positive direction in comparison to where we've been and what he had heard at first. It features a message of hope because it records the end of this long period of chastisement and the final result, which is Israel's final deliverance and restoration under her god i would say that hope is essential to all meaningful life unless there is some kind of light at the end of the tunnel man ends in despair unless there is some kind of anticipation for a wonderful reality in the future man finds himself unable to enjoy the moment in which he lives hope is especially important to those who suffer Those who suffer must be able to see a meaningful future, or they have no resource for living in the moment. In fact, most people who analyze the problem of suicide say that people do not kill themselves because of their current circumstances. They do it because they cannot see any future change in that current circumstance. There is no hope that anything will be any different. And this is, as the studies show, why people take their own lives. They believe that this is never going to change. And they enter into despair and hopelessness, and then they take their own lives. Very, very sad. Very tragic. God knows that in order for man to endure the present stress, he has to have a future hope. He has to have something to look forward to, something that brings him hope. And so all throughout the Bible, God presents to man a great hope, an eternal hope, a hope in the future, a hope beyond all other hopes that gives man a rich, full meaning to life. Now, as we come to the close of the book of Daniel, this is precisely what Daniel does. He has a message of hope. We should say that the angel through this vision gives him a message of hope which boosts him up and will serve God's purposes of giving His people hope throughout uh, the rest of their history. Let's pray before we get to work. Father, we ask that You teach us today in how we can have hope in the future and the things that You're going to do for those who love You and are called according to Your purpose. There may be some in this room, Lord, that are on the brink of utter and absolute hopelessness. Maybe there are some here that are in despair. Maybe there are some here that are on the precipice of despair. They don't see any solutions or anything in the future that would cause them to believe that something better is coming. I know, Lord, that life can be so difficult and challenging at times that We can wonder if there is a a better season, something greater in store for us. God, you have not given your people a spirit of timidity. You have given them a living hope in Christ. And we pray that that would come through today through the Scripture, that we would see the hope that you have for not only Israel, but for us, that there are some things coming that will give us hope. Teach us today, train us today. May we be humbled and built up and conformed to the image of Christ, who is our hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at 1A, verse 1A. Just three words. We begin with, at that time. At that time. What time is Daniel referring to here? The time he's been discussing in chapter 11, verses 36 through 45, the end of 11. The time of the Antichrist, the consummate oppressor of Israel, the one who would bring the greatest amount of pain, the one who would slaughter the most Jews, even more than Hitler. That's the message as chapter 12 opens. It is the time of the ascendancy of the Antichrist, the time when Antichrist rises to his zenith, the time when he fights against the North and the South and the East, the time when he wins great victories, the time when he establishes his power over the earth, the time when he um, commits his abominable deed in the temple, the time when he establishes himself as the only God and consumes every other religion in the world. The last three and a half years of the tribulation... The time of Armageddon. It is during that time the angel says that your people, Daniel, can have hope. It will be during that time, Daniel, that your people can have hope. During the midst, in the middle of the worst time for Israel. This is going to be the worst time in all of history on Israel and on the world. Because of the judgments of God that are coming. It is during this time that they can have hope. How can they have hope during this period of unparalleled, unprecedented suffering? How? The answer to this question is found in the following verses that we're going to look at. Look at 1b. It says, "'Shall arise, Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation till that time.'" Stop there. During during the pinnacle of their suffering, God will send their great prince who has charge over Daniel's people, the Jews the great prince is none other than the archangel Michael. Michael, perhaps the most powerful of all the angels, has been given throughout all of Israel's history the singular responsibility of defending the people of God. As the head of the holy angels, Michael is given the generalship over Israel. We see this in the New Testament as well as the Old Testament. We see it right here in our text, but we see it in the New as well. In Jude... Verse 9, we find Michael fighting Satan over the body of Moses. This actually happened. He has such a care, Michael has such a care and concern for God's people that he will not even permit the desecration of their dead bodies. Back in Daniel chapter 10, we saw Michael intervene and free Gabriel from a demon's grip so that Gabriel could deliver God's answer to Daniel. Remember that? God has assigned Michael the special task of caring for Israel. And so when the heat gets turned up during tribulation, we're not surprised to see Michael appear. When the battle gets the hottest, when the most furious persecution and oppression takes place, Michael comes to the rescue. Now, in what ways does Michael arise, as it says at the beginning of the verse? How will he defend Israel during this particular time? Scripture indicates that during the tribulation, Satan wants to release all of the forces of hell against the people of God. He wants to obliterate that nation. This has been his goal since day one, and he will attempt to do this once again during tribulation. He wants to destroy Israel. He will try. In Revelation chapter 12, we are given an apocalyptic vision of the battle or of a battle that will take place during tribulation where Michael and his angels will defend Israel against Satan and his demons. Turn over to Revelation chapter 12. You can turn there. I'm going to paraphrase it, but you can turn there if you want. Revelation 12. Give you a second just to do that. And you've got to remember how Daniel and Revelation dovetail together so well. They're both apocalyptic books, they both speak to the same things. Revelation chapter 12, in verse 1, we are told about a woman who wears a crown that features 12 stars. The woman is Israel. She represents Israel. And the 12 stars represent Israel's what? 12 tribes. In verse 2, we are told that she is with child, that she is pregnant, and that she is about to give birth. It says, literally says that she is crying out in birth pains. Who is her child? Her child is Messiah, Jesus Christ, right? Think about it for a moment. Israel is The mother, the woman, and the child comes through Israel. Christ comes through Israel. So there's the parallel. In verse 3, we are told about a red dragon with ten heads, seven horns, and seven diadems. The red dragon is Satan. The seven horns and diadems show how he will embody all the imperial governments, the final form of the Roman Empire during this time. In verse 4, we are told that the red dragon swung his tail and swept up one-third of the stars of heaven, casting them down to the earth. That means when Satan fell, the red dragon fell, one-third of the angels went with him. They are the stars of heaven here. That's the parallel. And this means that his force is not as large as God's force. Only one-third went with him. The other two-thirds remained with God. In verse 4... We are also told that the red dragon Satan stood before the woman Israel and waited for her to give birth so that he could devour her child. That's Messiah. You think about the ways that Satan tried to destroy Messiah during the incarnation. He got King Herod to slaughter all of the baby boys two and under in Bethlehem, right? In an attempt To kill Messiah, he had all of the baby boys, under two years old, destroyed, slaughtered, killed in Bethlehem. But Joseph, Mary, and Jesus escaped. He tried to disqualify Jesus. He tried to disqualify Messiah in the wilderness through a multitude of temptations. It's another way he tried to destroy, to devour. Satan has tried to destroy Messiah, to devour a Messiah in a number of ways. It was one of his primary goals. Even after the ascension, he does this. Satan was working through Saul of Tarsus to attack Messiah. What did Jesus say? What did the Messiah say to Saul of Tarsus on the Damascus road? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You see, when you attack a saint... You attack the saint's Messiah. An attack on Veronica is an attack on Jesus Christ. Satan still today is attempting to devour the woman's baby. It's what he does. He's always trying. In verse 5, we are told that the woman, Israel, gave birth to a male child, Messiah, who is to what? to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. The red dragon, Satan, then made his move, but he failed because the male child, Messiah, was caught up to God. That's a reference to his Messiah. Did you know that Satan actually believes that he defeated Messiah at the crucifixion? Satan thought he won. Satan was being used as a pawn by God to achieve his will, to have his... Only begotten son executed, killed, murdered, slaughtered for our redemption. But Satan thought he won. When Jesus rose from the tomb, Satan was defeated. Amen. He tries and he tries and he tries, but it ha- to no avail it doesn't work. He has failed. Messiah is seated at the right hand of God now. It shows that Satan has failed. In verse 6, we are told that the woman, Israel, fled into the wilderness where God established a refuge for her from the red dragon. It says she will remain there for 1260 days, three and a half years. This is a reference to the latter part of the tribulation. It's called the Great Tribulation when Antichrist will ratchet up his persecutions against Israel and God's people will flee from Jerusalem for a time. Verse 7 tells us that war will break out in heaven at this time, and Michael and his angels will battle the red dragon, Satan, and his demons. There's the war, the spiritual war between angels and demons that takes place during the Great Tribulation. Some say, well, this is looking back to when Satan was originally kicked out of heaven way before any of this. This could be true, but it has apocalyptic meaning as well. There was a war in heaven before where Satan was expelled, but there's one that's coming where it'll happen again. Listen to verses 8 and 9. It says, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Wow. Michael and his angels utterly defeat Satan and his fallen angels, his demons. This loss is so devastating that he actually, it actually causes them, Satan and his demons, to lose some of their supernatural power and they are easily cast down to the earth. At this point, they will not have access to the throne of God any longer. For judgment, and that's it. They don't get to come up there and make accusations against the saints anymore. Their time of going up there and interacting with the Father will be over. With His plans thwarted, in a last-ditch effort, Satan apparently overruns the earth with evil. He tries hard to persecute the woman, Israel, but he's unsuccessful. So the idea is that when he is expelled from heaven, he comes down here and he really impacts and infects the world with more and more evil, all in an attempt to destroy Israel. Why will he be unsuccessful at this time? because Michael will intervene and protect God's people. Daniel 12:1b. Shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. There it is. Took a little bit to get there. Michael will repel Satan Thus allowing the woman Israel to flee into the wilderness. This will be a supernatural protection. She goes into the wilderness, it says here, to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and a half time. Revelation 12, 14. Doesn't that sound similar to what we just had read? Michael will keep Satan busy like he did the Persian prince demon who fought against Gabriel. You remember when we looked at that a few weeks ago? And you need to know that there is a type of deliverance that takes place here. When the persecution persecution reaches its pinnacle, there will be a supernatural deliverance through this angel that takes place. Think of Egypt and the other instances where God delivered His people from the power of their enemies. But... It will not be the only type of deliverance that takes place at this time. There is a broader deliverance represented here, a full deliverance where Israel will be refined, purified, and restored by Messiah, by Jesus Christ for all eternity. That also takes place here. This, my friends, is hope in a future deliverance. We're asking the question, how can they have hope during this time? Here's one way. There is a future deliverance coming for them. Now look at 1C. Here's where it's mentioned. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. This is where the Messiah, Jesus Christ, delivers Israel once and for all. This is where he saves the nation, if you want to put it that way. But a question arises. The latter part of that verse there causes me to ask a question. Is this a blanket deliverance where every Jew living at that time will be saved? Is that what this means? Is that what Paul means when he says all Israel shall be saved? What does it mean? Well, the apocalyptic writing in Ezekiel chapter 20 tells us that in the end times, God will judge His people and purge the rebels and transgressors, those who reject Christ. It says He will make the nation pass under His shepherd's rod. It's, you get the idea there that the shepherd is inspecting his sheep and he lets one sheep go under the rod, he inspects it, and then he does it again and he does it again. So the passage talks about God... putting putting the nation under His shepherd's rod, and those who believe the gospel shall be delivered as a remnant. You've heard that word remnant from Scripture? Those who reject the gospel, it says in Zechariah 13, verse 8, shall be cut off. That verse also tells us that two-thirds of the Jews living at this time will reject the gospel and therefore be cut off. And cut off in Scripture means killed. So the answer is no. This is not a blanket deliverance where every Jew living at that time will be saved. Many will be lost. Only the remnant shall be saved. The phrase Paul used in Romans eleven twenty seven, 27, all Israel, it's a nationalistic term. It is in reference to... This remnant, that is true Israel, these Jews who believe. They are those, as it says in our text, whose names shall be found written in the book. What book is Gabriel referring to? The book of life, Revelation chapter 20 verse 12. The Lamb's book of life, Revelation 21 27. They are the same book. This book contains the names of every person whom God elected unto salvation in and through Jesus Christ, Gentiles and Jews, Gentile being a non-Jew. There is something else that will take place at that time. Look at verse 2. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. What else will happen at that time? There will be a resurrection that occurs. This is not the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which took place three days after His death, nor is it the resurrection of the church, which will happen at rapture, 1 Thessalonians 4.16. This is a different resurrection. And it has two stages. Stage one is called the resurrection to everlasting life. Stage 2 is called the resurrection to everlasting shame. John described it and its stages in Revelation chapter 20. We see stage 1 in verse 4 of that wonderful chapter. It says, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Stage one will occur, stage one of this resurrection will occur at the end of the great tribulation. That's what Daniel tells us here. That's what Revelation 20 tells us. At this resurrection, God will raise the Old Testament saints who were not raised at Christ's resurrection, Matthew 27, 52 to 53. Did you know that when Jesus rose from the grave, other Old Testament saints rose at the same time as Him? Did you know that? That's an interesting truth. The ones who did not rise with Him at that time will rise at this moment. He shall also raise the tribulation saints who have been martyred by Antichrist This group shall be resurrected to everlasting life and even reign with Christ for a thousand years. This is hope in a future resurrection. So you've got a future deliverance. There's a place of hope. Put it in that. And you've got a future resurrection. There's another reason to have hope. There is a resurrection coming. We see stage 2 in Revelation chapter 20, verse 5. It says... The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. Stage two will occur a thousand years later at the end of Christ's millennial reign. This is when that second resurrection will take place or that second phase of that resurrection. At this resurrection, God will raise those who died outside of Christ. They are actually called the dead because they were never born again and made spiritually alive in Christ by grace through faith. They are those who did what? Followed the course of this world and the prince of the power of the air, that's the devil, and remained dead in their trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2.1. This group, which is very large because Scripture tells us that they are on the broad road to destruction, it's a very large super freeway, if you will, unto destruction. This group is very large. They will be resurrected unto everlasting contempt through judgment and suffering in the lake of fire. Revelation 20 verses 12 and 15. So there is a resurrection that will occur at the end of tribulation. That is unto everlasting contempt. Life, and there is a res- that second half of that resurrection, the second phase, will occur after the thousand-year reign. And that one is unto everlasting contempt. You better be in Jesus. Look at verse 3. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever The wise are those who come to Christ by faith and even lead others to Christ during tribulation. These believers shall receive a special reward, a special glory. They will shine the glory of God like bright stars forever and ever. All believers will shine like stars, but the tribulation saints, especially those who evangelize others, shall be rewarded with more of God's glory, and they will shine brighter than others. Think of it like this. When you look at the night sky, you see a lot of stars, especially if you live out in the country where there isn't a lot of transient light from the city, you know, lamps and all of that stuff. When you look at the night sky, you see a lot of stars with varying degrees of brightness. They are all stars, and they are all beautiful, but the brightest stars really shine and stand out, don't they? We tend to focus on those stars. The ones that are dimly lit, we might kind of glance over them, and then our eyes fix on that one star that really stands out. This is how it will be for those who lead others to Christ during tribulation, They will shine the glory of God like the brightest stars. John MacArthur put it like this, The brightest glories of eternal capacity are reserved for those who have influenced others to faith. Isn't that cool? What are we talking about here? This is hope in a future glory. We've got it in a future deliverance, in a future resurrection. Now, we see that there is a glory coming, not just for those who evangelize, for all of God's people. But there are varying degrees of shining God's glory. This is hope in a future glory. Look at verse 4. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase." This is a, a fascinating verse. It's a bit confusing when you first read it, but it's really fascinating when you understand it. And I, I'm going to tell you what I think it means. During the last three, uh, three and a half years of tribulation, God's people will become utterly astonished by the devastation they see and experience. It's going to blow their minds. The the Jewish people, throughout all of their history, have never seen any persecution to this. I mean, they have seen lots of persecution, lots of devastation, lots of oppression. But this is an unparalleled, unprecedented level of that. And so they're going to be absolutely astonished by what is playing out. They're going to be blown away. They're going to be so frightened and so concerned, so confused, that they are going to begin to ask questions like, Why is this happening to us? Have you ever asked that question in the midst of great suffering or a difficult season? Why is this happening to me? They will ask, will it come to an end? Is there any any ending to this in the near future? It's going to be so bad. They're going to ask the question, did God say anything about this event in Scripture? Did He prophesy about this? They will literally run around to and fro, back and forth, looking for answers. Their curiosity is going to peak. They're going to feel such danger. They're going to run around asking questions, trying to get answers. Gabriel told Daniel to roll up the scroll of this prophecy and preserve it for the time of the end, for tribulation. Why? Why? So God's people can come across it and study it during that time and find answers and have hope. Remember when Daniel searched the book of Jeremiah for answers concerning the 70 years of captivity? Daniel 9 verse 2. His people will search the scriptures for answers concerning the tribulation. And they will find them in Daniel chapter 12. They will find them in Revelation. And what's going to happen? Not, as it says in the text here, knowledge shall increase. And when knowledge increases, where knowledge increases, hope increases. This is hope in a future truth. This is hope in a future truth. Now, I'm going to summarize and paraphrase the rest of our passage. I'm going to not treat it in the same manner, verse by verse. I'm not sure that it requires as much focus. I think it's pretty easy to discern and understand, but I'm going to paraphrase and summarize it. In verses 5 through 8, two additional angels join Daniel and Gabriel. So they come down, and they're now with this small group. They stood on both sides of the river, one on this bank and one on that bank. And one of them asked, the man clothed in linen, that's Gabriel, who was hovering over the middle of the river about the timeline of these wondrous events. I am just absolutely fascinated and kind of mind-blown by the fact that the angels do not possess. And they, are, they are amazing. Every time an angel appears before someone we see in Scripture, they fall down on their knees, they start worshiping. They don't know what to do because angels are just... I guess uh, they'd be a bit frightening if we had one appear here, if he took on the shape of his heavenly glory. We would just be like Daniel and start going, you know. It's just amazing to me that angels are asking questions here because they don't have all the information. They're asking this angel who's appeared in glory, so when and and when is this stuff going to unfold? Because they don't have all the answers. There's a passage, I think, in First Peter where it talks about the angels never tire of looking into these kinds of things. They're not um, uh, omniscient. They don't have all knowledge. Angels learn as we do. They are superior to us in many ways, but they have to learn. And, and so they're, they're, they're thinking, wow, what, what Gabriel's saying is, is pretty amazing. Hey, Gabriel, when's this stuff going to unpack? They're kind of blown away as Daniel is. Gabriel then points to heaven and he swears by God's throne, the one who lives forever and ever and ever, the most high, the ancient of days, that from beginning to end it would be for a time, times, and a half time, three and a half years. So the events we've been looking at today and last Sunday and for several weeks will occur during the second hand the second half, pardon me, of the tribulation period. During This time is when these events will unfold and when this deliverance will occur, what the high persecution will occur and the deliverance and the resurrection and and the shining like stars and the glory in these things, these things will take place during that time. It also says that during this time, God will use Antichrist to what? What does it say in the text? Shatter the power of His holy people once and for all you see that in the text this is a this means that god will use antichrist to literally crush his people to bring them to their absolute end and to total and absolute humiliation he's going to shatter their pride he's going to shatter what they perceive as their own power he's going to shatter their disobedience. He's going to shatter their rebellion. And what does it say in Scripture over and over about God's people, in particular the Jews? They have stiff necks. He's going to bend their necks. not going to break them. He's going to bend them. He's going to humble them. He's going to shatter this power that they have, that they think they have. And when they are humbled... Michael will appear and begin to, and and these supernatural wonders that we're looking at here will begin to take place, unfold. And within 5 through 8, it also says that Daniel was not able to put all of these things together. He was confused. He didn't understand how it would all come together and work. Do we actually understand how it will all come together and work? I find encouragement in his lack of understanding because it helps me to understand that my lack of understanding is is natural and normal and okay. (laughs) Daniel, I think, was superior to me in a lot of ways. What an amazing guy. And yet he just... Can't put it all together. Now, it's much easier for us to put it together way after the fact, right? Some of these things have not taken place, but much of it has, the earlier prophecies. So we have an advantage that he did not have. He was living before any of these things started to happen. But he is confused. He doesn't understand. He can't put it all together. And he basically asked the angel to explain it once more. Verses 9 and 10, Gabriel basically said... No, do as you were told, Daniel, roll up the prophetic scroll, preserve it for the time of the end, go your way and live your life. (laughs) It's basically what the angel tells him. I think it's hilarious. He says, during that time, and he he does elaborate a little bit, but not a lot, not enough to really cause Daniel to, you know, okay, I get it all. He tells them about that at that time, many will be purified and refined that saved, but the wicked shall remain wicked. None of them will understand any of these things. Verses 11 and 12, Gabriel provided Daniel with a little more explanation of the timeline. This is interesting. The end times are represented by three similar sets of days in Scripture, 1260, 1290 and 1335. 1260 days represents the second half of the seven-year tribulation period, okay? So that's what that reference is for. When you see 1260 in there, that's I think probably in all cases that's what it means. You see it in Revelation. 1290 days may represent the period between the cancellation of the sacrifices as well as the setting up of the abomination of desolation in the temple. By Antichrist and the judgment of Israel and the nations. There will be a judgment that takes place at this time, and I think the 1290 represents that time frame. 1335, 1335 days may represent the period between the cancellation of the sacrifices by Antichrist and the establishment of the millennial kingdom by Christ. That's probably what the reference is there. And And notice how it says toward the end of the text there, I think in verse 12, how it says, blessed is the man who arrives at that time. The idea is there is that that man understands that that's when the millennial kingdom will be established. That man during that time will be able to experience that if he's in Christ. He's blessed. Fascinating. 1260, 1290, 1335, they're all in relation to the end times and they, each one incorporates certain things. Uh, many skeptics look at these different days and these different numbers and say, look, there's inconsistencies here. God's Word isn't accurate. No, they just represent additional things that will take place. It's not a matter of accuracy. God's Word is thoroughly accurate, thoroughly authoritative, because if you don't believe it's accurate, then you don't trust it and you don't submit to God. Lastly, in verse 13. Gabriel sort of repeats himself and tells Daniel to go about his business and to live his life. Why? Because his future is very, very bright. At the end of the tribulation, Daniel will be resurrected with his people and he will stand in his allotted place among those whom God has raised to everlasting life. This was Gabriel's way of saying, I know you don't understand everything, but you don't have to. God has got you covered. This should be an idea of ours and a thought of ours when we come up against Scripture and we can't quite get our mind around it. If we are in Christ, our ignorance doesn't disqualify us. I guess it depends on what the ignorance is in relation to. You should understand the gospel. That's the, one of the simplest truths in all of Scripture, Christ lived for your righteousness, He died for your sin, He was buried and settled our accounts, He was, he was uh, resurrected, conquering sin, Satan, death, and hell. We have a resurrection because of His resurrection? I mean, that's the gospel, that, that's, a, that's a nursery rhyme! Nobody should get that wrong, well, many do. But there are some truths in Scripture that are really, really hard to get around some of these timelines and things. And I love that encouragement from Gabriel to Daniel. I know you don't understand everything. I know you don't get it. But you don't have to understand all of the minutia and how and, and when. You don't. You don't because God has you covered. You're going to be one of the ones, Daniel, who was raised at that time. Don't you think Daniel's going to be one who shines like the brightest stars? He was quite the evangelist, wasn't he? He has an incredible He had, at that time, an incredible future. He still has it. He, he is waiting for some of these things to come just as we are. Closing. What is the message of Daniel 12? And we've got to keep it in context and remember that it follows some really, really hard difficult apocalyptic prophecy where the nation's just going to get decimated. Okay, so you got to remember, okay, all of this stuff has been very, very negative so far for Daniel in this vision, but we know that 12 is the turning point. It is the chapter in Daniel of hope. What is Daniel 12 about? It is hope in a future deliverance, hope in a future resurrection. Hope in a future glory and hope in a future truth. Where is your hope this morning? You Just ask yourself that question. Ask yourself, what have I been hoping in? Where have I put my hope? Is your hope in these things? Probably not at this point because you've probably just learned them for the first time. Heaven forbid that you're a Christian and you just now learned about the resurrection or in the total deliverance that's coming. But I have to admit to you that I didn't see Daniel 12 this way. But is it in the things that, that are represented in this text, that are clear in the text? Is your hope in the promises of Daniel 12? Is your hope in the one who secured them for us in Christ? You see, according to this text, the, the wise person hopes in Christ and in his finished work, even hopes in his future work. But the fool hopes in himself, the fool hopes in his possessions. The fool hopes in false religion in good deeds. Don't be a fool. Be wise. Put your hope in Christ alone, and I guarantee you all of these blessings, because that's really what they are, all of them will be yours. You will have what the Scripture says about Christ, a living hope. It's an ongoing hope. It's hope today. It's hope tomorrow. It's hope Friday. It's hope Sunday. It's hope all the time. It's a living hope. It's a a living, breathing hope because we have a living, breathing source of hope, which is Jesus Christ. He is alive. He is our hope. His work, we can put our hope in as well. Well, this concludes Daniel chapter 12. And it concludes the book of Daniel. What is the message of Daniel as a whole? It's pretty simple. God's people, Israel, will be ruled by Gentile nations for a very, very long time until He shatters them, breaks them, humiliates them. And redeems and resurrects and does all of those things for them in and through Christ with the assistance of the Archangel Michael. That is the message of Daniel. I don't think the message of Daniel is, here's how you live in a fallen world. That's not the message of Daniel. The message of Daniel is that Israel has a future. That we who are in Christ have a future. That's the message of Daniel as well as those who reject Christ, have a future. It's not the same future. It's one of everlasting shame and contempt. I bid you, put your faith in Christ. Put your hope in Him alone. Do it. How, how do you know if you've done that? Well, when things get dashed to pieces, you don't get dashed to pieces. That's how you know if you've got your hope in the wrong thing. If the money runs out and you fall apart, you had your hope in your money. That's how you know. And at that point, this is natural for us, we do this, but at that point, we correct, we repent, we confess and say, I need my hope in You, Christ. Do you want to shine more and more? Do you want to reflect more and more of God's resplendent glory? Do you want to shine more of that? Tell people about Jesus. Evangelize. Do it. And leave the results. In God's hands, that, that is a, this text says it clearly that those who evangelize will shine brighter. Boy, I hope that's us. Just, just gossip the gospel to people. Tell them about what God's done in your life through Jesus. It's, it's not impossible. I know it's a little scary and hard, but share the gospel with some of your own family members and, and some friends and coworkers and people that you know that need Jesus. Build relationships with people. I think it's pretty cool that we all will be glorified because that's God's promise to us. But, man, I want to come to the point of almost being consumed by His glory for all eternity because of the work that He enabled and empowered and allowed me to do by grace and by His mercy. Man, we gotta, we got to get to work, people. I want this whole church to shine so brightly that we've got to wear shades. I hope this study has equipped you as a child and servant of God. I hope it's edified and built you up. And I suppose my, my greatest desire and request in and through it all is that God receives all the praise and glory.